Hello, everyone. Before we jump into this episode, I'm asking you to do this podcast a favor. It's always helpful if you rate, review, or subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen, and in particular on Apple Podcasts. So please do that. But today I'm asking you to vote for this podcast in the Anchorage Press 2022 Press Picks. Go to the link in the episode description and vote for the Anchored City Podcast in the entertainment section for best podcast. You can vote each day through November 10, and we encourage you to do that. Thank you for voting and helping us get the word out about this podcast. Now, on to this week's episode. The Anchored City Podcast is recorded in Anchorage, Alaska, on the traditional lands of the Denina Athabascan people. City Podcast. I'm your host, Joel Kiekenfeld. The National Foster Care Institute reports that the child welfare system is sometimes described as a highway to homelessness. An estimated 20% of young adults who are in care become homeless the moment they're emancipated at the age of 18. And nationwide, 50% of the homeless population has spent time in foster care. With numbers like that, it's hard to feel hopeful. But don't lose hope too quickly. Here in Alaska, the Office of Children's Services is working hard to launch youth and young adults exiting foster care in a way that causes them to thrive as adults. On this episode, we're learning more about the foster care system and homelessness and where they intersect with Kim Gway and Naomi Davison. Here's our conversation. That I have yet to cross and I have dreamed of faraway places Where imagination just gets lost And I would search the wide world over For one proverb that is true But of all the roads I'll ever walk I just, I can't have Uh, my name is Kim Guay. I'm the director at the Office of Children's Services, um, and I live here in the Anchorage area. Um, and my name is Naomi Davidson, and I am coming to you from the Aquan land in Juneau. I work and live down here, and I've been with OCS for 10 years and at the Independent Living Program Coordinator for the last almost seven so it might be helpful for folks that are listening to understand kind of what is the overall work of the Office of Children's Services and then what specifically do each of you do inside of that? Great question, Joel. Um, so OCS is, many people know us as, you know, we investigate maltreatment for children. Um, we also 
you know, when children are unsafe, they go into foster care. So that's typically what people know about OCS, but we're much bigger and broader than that. Um, we have, um, we license um, foster homes. So we, are, we have a licensing area. We provide quite a bit of money and funding to different um, agencies around the state to deliver services for children and families. Um, we, we just, we, anything child welfare related, right? Not just child protection, but child welfare related. Uh, OCS is somehow um, involved in and incorporated in uh, within the state of Alaska. Um, my role as the director is kind of to oversee all of that. So um, there's many facets of, like I said, there's, you know, in, intake where the reports of harm or reports of concern come in from community partners, intake evaluates those um, calls and faxes. And then some of them, uh, around 35% of those calls go into an investigation. And then we go out and investigate whether you know, children have been maltreated and whether they're safe or not. And then of those 35% that were screened in, around 9% end up in some kind of legal arrangement within OCS uh, that's typically thought of as foster care. Um, and then we work with those children and families for reunification. If reunification does not become an option, then we look for adoptions or guardianships for children for permanency options. So. Um, and there's lots of services that we're providing along the way for our services array area, grants and contracts, things of that area. One of our specific programs um, is our independent living uh, program. And Naomi can talk a little bit about um, her role with that and fill in what I may have missed, Naomi. You, you get the large umbrella and I get the smaller, very focused umbrella. Um, so I supervise the independent living program, and this is a federally funded program from the John C. Chafee program to support youth who are most likely to age out of foster care um, and supporting them to develop the skills to be independent, either on an employment track or on an education track. And um, the Alaska, so the, the Chafee program from the feds is specific to youth who are most likely to age out. Alaska has broadened that scope to include all youth ages 16 to 21, regardless of how they are going to exit custody. Um, because we feel like all of those young people have experienced traumas, simply engaging in, in systems and are being removed from their families. Um, and uh, those traumas can create barriers to developing skills towards independence. And so we try to um, just support all of those young people in those, in those specific intentions of gaining skills to live independently. We like to say that our, our goal is to launch safe adults so that they um, don't have to engage with our system again and so that they can um, you know, become the independent person that they're, they're destined to be. Thanks for letting us know that. That's really helpful to understand kind of what the scope of the work is and then the specific work that you're doing, Naomi. That's really helpful. So this season on the podcast, we're talking about homelessness as a hydra, this beast with many heads. Um, and that's that's why we're talking with you today. So can you help listeners understand where the Office of Children's Services and homelessness intersect? Where does your work intersect with folks that are experiencing homelessness? Boy, I love the um, analogy there of the Hydra with multiple heads, right? Because it really is um, a beast. Um, 
a lot, we have many parents that are experience poverty uh, and that may be with homelessness. Um, and so sometimes we get, that's how we get involved. If there's um, not typically due to strict poverty, but you know, there are times, you know, that you get calls it's, you know, you know, October, like it is now it's cold out and people are still trying to uh, live in their cars and things like that. That's not common, but that, that does, um, does happen. Housing is extraordinarily expensive. Um, you know, we work a lot with families on, you know, trying to connect them to services. Um, so there is definitely a poverty gap when we come in the door, uh, with some of our families. And then sometimes the system is not, um, set up to help when, when we do get involved and have to take children, right? So if we have to take children uh, because of safety issues, then parents do sometimes spiral into homelessness because they're losing benefits, um, housing benefits and things like that, right? So then they become homeless and we're trying to work on reunification and reunification efforts can be really hard if you're trying to work on like mental health or substance use, um, misuse problems when they don't have housing, right? When they don't have their basic needs met. Um, so it intersects in child welfare all over the place in multiple spots and multiple areas. Uh, as far as our youth uh, experiencing homelessness, um, we typically try to do a really good job working with our youth so they don't experience homelessness. Um, but we also have parameters on where youth can live and where they need to stay, right? They need to be in a licensed a licensed home. And sometimes youth don't want to be in that home, right? They, they, are, they may be more independent and want to do their own thing. And so it is hard, um, you know, youth have their own minds, right? They, they're trying to explore their independence and trying to move into adulthood. So, you know, they, it's definitely um, something that we, that our youth experience. Um, so it's a, it's a, whether it's a, Sometimes they're choosing not to stay in a placement and why they don't want to stay in that placement. So it's, it's a difficult beast, I think, for OCS to tackle with our youth uh, specifically. And I'm sure Naomi has a little bit more to, uh, to add to that question. Um, yeah, I feel like a lot of the questions that um, we received from you, Joel, and I prepared for sort of wrap into one um, because uh, it's, it's what we do, it's the youth we serve, it's how we, we want to support them and launch them into adulthood is safely and with a home. And so part of um, the funding that we get from Chafee is 30% of it is allowed to be dedicated to room and board. And we have done uh, used that funding to work with the Alaska Housing and Finance Corporation to um, provide some housing vouchers and some subsidized housing. We've been involved with them and a lot of other social service agencies throughout Alaska to work with their Foster Youth Independence Program, which is another voucher program. And that one is a major voucher program where it's for three years, it goes for youth until they, I believe they're 26, and you can travel any state with it also if you want to leave Alaska. And so that one is major. And so we, we really work to try to launch youth again into their own home if that's what they're choosing to do. Um, we have youth who launch into um, schools and go into the dorms, but you know, our intention is to have like that, that safe landing when they leave us. Um, I think that youth do choose to exit custody altogether. They just want out. 
they've had traumatic experiences after traumatic experiences, and they've been let down repeatedly by adults, and they need to take control and ownership of their lives because they are the only person that they trust. And they often can build their own family of choice. You know, uh, I think I've heard it referred to as like their street family. Um, and so the independent living programs goal is to continue that connection with the young person. So we get to work with kids who are in custody, but we're also very unique in OCS where we get to work with youth who exit custody as well until they're 21. And so that when youth at 18 are like, I'm sick of this, I'm out of here, I, I'll, I'll stay at Covenant House. We're like, that's not great. We, we, don't, we oppose that, but you're gonna do it anyway. Okay, but we wanna make that connection still. We're gonna stick with you still and help you achieve some goals. And if things fall apart for you, the other thing that OCS has developed is the opportunity to return to custody. And they can, we can resume custody and it's a youth has to, cho has to choose, for, choose it and participate in that. And then, um, the young person will get a foster home. Like that's the whole purpose is to provide a foster home um, when they return to custody. And um, I think that that's sort of like how we intersect. We work with a lot of the homeless um, youth agencies across the state, like um, My House and The Door and Covenant House, and um, just trying to work with the case managers there who are do have expertise in serving homeless youth um, so that we can partner to just continue to try to build the net as, as youth are are exploring their independence. And um, hopefully it's, you know, just because they leave us doesn't mean the launch is over. Yeah, if I could add a little bit more to that, um, you know, Naomi runs a really wonderful program. And one of the other things that we did this year, actually with uh, Governor Dunleavy's support, um, we added, I think it's, it's over a million dollars trying to help youth successfully launch, right? So from 18 to 21. So when they're going to get their apartment, right? I mean, sometimes it's hard because you got to set up your utilities. You might need deposits because you don't have a lot of credit. You need first and last month's rent. We now have additional funding that we can help launch uh, youth. Uh, they might want to go to trade school. Okay, we'll help pay for that for you. We'll pay for that for you. Um, maybe they need clothes because they have a professional job that they're trying to, you know, get into we can help go get, you know, professional clothes for youth. Um, so we're really trying to do, and I'm super proud as a director of OCS of our youth program. Uh, it's one of the, what I feel is a pretty successful program um, and not often talked about, but our youth program and our, uh, and our independent living specialists are fantastic. Um, so it's, it's a really, it's a really important program. And I think the governor has like recognized that this is an area we want to make sure that we're successfully launching these youth into adults and is, you know, putting the money to support that work. So it's been pretty cool. Well, I think what I find interesting there is <clears throat> even having worked in like with youth for years that the, the, the narrative that I often heard was sort of like, well, when they hit 18 OCS, just like drops them off on the corner somewhere. <laughs> um, it's kind of the, and to hear about these services that go to like 21 or even 26 and like can follow them to other States. Like that's a different, um, a different approach and really sheds light on what you what you all do to try to help them land in a in a space. Um, while I was working with youth for a number of years, the narrative I heard a lot, and maybe you already kind of addressed this, but was that youth kind of once they aged out often experienced homelessness. And that was sort of the narrative. Like it wasn't something that I I witnessed with a lot of the youth that I knew, but it was a story or a theme or a fairy tale or whatever that was being told a lot 
um, by different folks. It's like, well, youth that are in custody um, end up often experiencing homelessness. Is that narrative true from your perspective? Like, does that ring true for you? Or is that, that just one of these things that got into the culture that is just sort of out there perpetuating itself and isn't accurate to the experience? You want to take that one, Naomi? <laughs> um, sure. So I think that I think that there is truth, but I think that the myth that OCS routinely releases to homelessness is a myth. Um, that is what we try to avoid. We try to put as many resources and, um, you know, super skilled, smart people behind it to prevent that from happening. Sometimes you do leave. And, and when we say aged out, what that actually means is that they are released to themselves. So, um, in order to be released to themselves, they have to be 18. They have to be an adult. And we, um, we, again, like we try to maintain like the independent living program and its uniqueness, we have the relationship with the youth only. We don't typically work with families. We don't have a lot of the, the court requirements because our, our job is focused on this young person and preventing any sort of recidivism. And um, so when we, um, well, I guess I should say like one of the ways that we can, we can quantify it is through the services that we deliver and the reporting that is required of us by the feds. And that's through the National Youth in Transition Database. It's called NIDID. And we are charged with doing surveys of youth at three different points, regardless of at, at, at 17, when they're in custody and in out-of-home care. And then we survey them again at 19 and we do it again at 21. So we get to follow this cohort of young people you know, across a significant amount of time. And one of those questions that we ask is if they have experienced homelessness. So when we question youth and survey them at 17, they are in custody and in out-of-home care. And the, have they ever experienced homelessness? And the answer for this cohort between the years of 2017 and 2021, that's our state snapshot. We surveyed 459 youth and 40% uh, reported that they had experienced homelessness. So we don't know if that was prior to coming into OCS. We don't, you know, this is not a qualitative survey. It is quantitative and they just tick the box. And so we know that they have experienced it at some point in their lives. And then when we survey them again at 19, the same cohort, it went up to 53 and then at 21, it rose to 55%. So that's not actually a very large increase. So that's not like all kids. It doesn't indicate any sort of routine release to homelessness, but it does indicate that the youth do experience it at some point. And so then that's where we use these snapshots to sort of steer the ship of independent living. You know, um, one state um, snapshot that we received indicated that youth didn't understand how to access their health insurance or how to access a doctor. So we swung our ship to add those intentional skill building opportunities for our youth. And with this snapshot, it was housing. So we swung our ship back to working with Alaska Housing Finance. And that's when we developed the and worked with them with the HUD to um, get the foster youth independence vouchers. And then we were able to, we did such a good job with that, we were able to increase the number number of vouchers that we were able to provide for youth. So that's where the snapshot is really helpful, but it doesn't indicate that sort of routinism and that myth to the, to the large um, uh, expanse that it does take up. That's super helpful. So um, in, in the, 
in the middle of that, I know you've been already kind of been talking about this, but I'll ask it, ask the question anyway, but um, what are the ways that OCS prepares youth to sort of thrive when they exit um, care from OCS? Like how do they build, how do you build in that opportunity for them to thrive when they're on their own? You know, one of the things, um, and Naomi's going to be able to give a lot more in depth on this, but one of the things that we really try to do is build connections, right? Connections are so, so important, well, for everybody, but specifically for foster youth who have experienced trauma, right? I mean, they're, they're in a system that, that in a, in of itself can be a little bit traumatizing, right? And so where their rights are as individuals, right? You know, maybe they're not legally adults, but they have thoughts and opinions that matter. And so we really try to do a good job with um, building connections uh, with youth. We've got different groups like the Youth Empowerment Office over at UAA Child Welfare Academy, uh, Facing Foster Care in Alaska, which is a foster youth alumni group. Um, So we try to figure out ways um, for them to build connections and, and families. I think Naomi talked about, you know, they're not the typical uh, family, right? But um, it works. It works um, for youth to have to sometimes pick their own family, right? And so um, really trying to make sure they have those social connections is vital in um, success for these youth. Naomi, anything you want to add on that? Oh, so much. I could talk all day. <laughs> um I mean, I think that, so, so the nuts and bolts of it are this, that the feds and NIDID specifically, um, we're, 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 we're a grantee of this federal program and we are required to deliver a set number of services. And these services are sort of umbrellas, you know, for academic and career support, housing support, employment and vocational training, budget, financial management, housing, health education, family support and healthy marriages and mentorship. And those are like the, the, the overarching umbrellas that we are supposed to, the boxes we're supposed to tick for the feds. And how we do that is unique to each state. So in Alaska, we have um, regional independent living specialists all across the state, and they reach out repeatedly and through various means to engage with youth. We do social media, we call them, we text them, we like show up at their door if we know where they're at to try to engage them in our program. And then the, the bulk of our program is to create opportunities for youth to develop these skills. So if it's a one, if, if a youth needs one-on-one support and we will take them shopping and we'll say like, okay, fill your cart and let's do a practice round of what it's like to shop for yourself and watch their mind get blown when they get to the register. Um, And we do, you know, we're returning to the before times, before COVID times of doing things in person. Um, Over COVID, a lot of this happened virtually, of course, but we do um, life skills classes and we've been doing bi-weekly Zoom ones. We're returning to in-person at a, at a slow pace, hoping to get, on, get up to step after the holidays, um, where we engage, we invite youth to in, in learn um, from uh, our, my staff, from the regional independent living specialists, but also from our partner agencies across the state. So we have strong connections to so many services and they come to our classes and they present um, their, their information. So we've had like um, 
bankers come from Wells Fargo. We've had employers come to talk about employment. We have um, a strong connection with Big Brothers Big Sisters. We have a SYNC program is what it's called with them. And that program is specific to older teens, um, trying to build opportunities for youth to not only learn skills, but to meet adults and to meet safe adults so that they can create those connections like um, Kim was discussing. Uh, we have retreats that we invite youth to attend. We just held our first in-person one and it was just like so heart-filling to be with almost 30 um, youth who have experienced foster care, but to have youth who are in a room and don't have to explain or hide or feel shame about their experiences because they are all on the same, they're all in that same boat. They've all had similar experiences and that is a really unique opportunity for them. And again, we're bringing in the guest speakers and we're bringing in the other adults. And that is um, again, with our partnership with Facing Foster Care in Alaska, the youth board puts that on, like we contract with them and they come up with the agenda and these young people, it's like led for, created for, led by and to, young adults um, and so creating again like those families and those connections that they get to retain after they exit our program because we consider ourselves in the independent living program like safe adult and we have these strong connections with the young person and that is like our one our, our, our a very important goal for us um, but part of that is is creating this this web of other adults so that when they're 21 and they leave our care um, or they that they have somewhere to go, that it's not a hard switch for them. What I love about what I hear you saying is like, it's about providing them skills, but also this community that can be around them as well. And I think that's so important of having other folks around that can be that web, like you're talking about building this sort of net of relationships. I think that's beautiful. So thanks for sharing that. That I have yet to and I have dreamed of faraway places Where imagination just gets lost And I would search the wide world over For one proverb that is true But of all the roads I'll ever walk I just, I can't have Thanks for listening. We're taking a quick break to share with you an exciting event coming soon. The Anchorage Urban Training Collaborative, the organization that sponsors this podcast, will be joining 26 other local organizations at the Mitzvah Mall this Sunday, November 13, 2022, from 12 to 3 p.m. at Congregation Beth Shalom, which is located at 7525 East Northern Lights Boulevard in Anchorage. It will be a fun event where you'll be able to learn about organizations that are making a difference in our community and contribute to them. You'll also be able to get some of your holiday shopping done with lovely cards that you can present as gifts for the donation described. We're hoping to see you at the Mitzvah Mall. That's this Sunday, November 13, from 12 to 3 at Congregation Beshalom. Now, back to our episode. With the crazy long life that I lived already and the scars I earned I still can't seem to find the answers And all the questions are never new But loving you just once was worth it Even if I, I can't have
One question we're asking um, our guests this season is if you had a magic wand, so I mean like without any barriers for capacity or funding or any of those kind of things, like what's one thing you would do if you had that magic wand, what's one thing you would do that would either help um, alleviate or get rid of homelessness in Anchorage or Alaska? If you could, if, if Kim and Naomi had a magic wand, what would you each use it for um, in this area? You go first, Naomi. <laughs> That's a big one. It is a big one. And it's like, it's hard to like, because I also want it to be achievable. <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, I I mean, for, for me and for, for our staff, we talk about this quite a bit, how our wish would be to have some teen-specific foster homes. Um, like, you know, Kim was saying, teens are very unique. They're developing their independence. They also have been hurt and let down by adults they were supposed to trust. And so having um, this young person who you need to build trust with, but is also trying to press every single boundary because they they want to make their own decisions and they're independent, that's a pretty unique situation. Um, That's a pretty unique person. And being able to um, support and care for a young person who is, you know, displaying like rejection and, you know, um, behaviors that, you know, may not be, um, it's, it's not the, it's not the Hallmark movie version. It's the, it's, this is a real person and this is a real experiences that they've had and you get to support them through the, through the good behavior and through the, like the less positive behavior. Um, and I think that having the foster home and a foster parent who is trained and is resilient and is compassionate, if we had a lot more of those, then that could be an adult that the youth maintains a contact with after they have exited care and exited custody. And sort of on that same note is the adult mentors. So with Big Brothers, Big Sisters with Sync, we're always looking for more adult mentors to connect young people with. Um, again, to create that web, to create that one caring, compassionate person um, that they can they can retain a relationship with after. That's a great answer, uh, Naomi. And you know, I was the achievable part um, is definitely the part that I'm like, oh boy, could could it be achievable? But you know, some of the things that I think if I had the magic wand is, um, you know, of course I would love where you know, no one was experiencing homelessness, right? From the parents to the youth um, when they are, are in care. Um, but part of the, you know, it is the, the social connections and it's meeting the youth where they're at, right? So um, sometimes a foster home is appropriate, but sometimes it's not, right? So, but we definitely have roles and parameters where we could do things and we can't do things um, as a state or a federally funded um, agency. Um, and sometimes our youth don't fit into those parameters. So um, really listening to our youth um, is super important to me. And, and so that's one of the things I, I wish that um, as, you know, how do we listen and still keep our youth safe? I think that's a huge thing. Um, and, and we need to do a better job as the, as a state at the, well, for people to do that um, within parameters, right? And so, I really wish that we would have more people to help support youth um, as, you know, as they're trying to figure out their lives, right? I mean, uh, anyone who's had a parent of a teen, uh, you know, they're difficult in of itself, but then a teen who's experienced some trauma, 
they're going to push some boundaries. They want to know who's going to be there for them when, you know, their back is against a corner. Um, are they going to be accepted if they're LGBTQ? Um, are they going to be accepted if they, you know, don't do well in math this semester, right? I mean, there's so many things. If they're not going to come home at their curfew and um, they're going to push boundaries and um, meeting them where they're at and knowing that they have someone, no matter what, that's going to be in their corner is is super important. And that would be my wish for all these youth um, that are in foster care, frankly, anybody, but specifically our youth in foster care. Well, thank you both for sharing that. I think those are great things to think about. Um, great ways to use the magic wand in this area. Is there anything you would want listeners to know, folks to know about how homelessness and foster care interact that maybe gets missed? Or maybe it's something I didn't ask you about and you'd like to make sure it gets said, but it, is there anything like that that often gets missed in the conversation or something that I missed as we've been talking? You know, the one thing that we, we didn't talk a whole lot about that we also try to work on is, um, is when youth come into care, uh, with into foster care, sometimes they're not in the same school district, right? And so one of the things that our schools, one of the things that we really try to um, help facilitate is they stay, right? I mean, they know they stay in their schools, they have their same peer group, they have their same school teacher. Um, so that's one thing that we didn't talk about talk too much about, but that we have um, contracts, grants or contracts with different school districts around Alaska to try to keep those children uh, within their school districts because the communities are so important to these youth. And so that's one thing we didn't talk much about, but um, the role of education uh, in, in youth and homelessness is huge. And um, we've got some pretty good partnerships, although we can always uh, expand and do better on that because we do have to switch youth uh, or children out of their schools sometimes. And so um, making sure that they've got the same opportunities as children who are not, uh, ex you know, in experiencing homelessness or even in custody. So, the, you know, we really try to, um, to highlight those, that particular group of people. Naomi? Um, yeah, I think you're right on, Kim, that um, that school community is part of the web. <laughs> Of, of support for those young people. Um, one of the myth, the myth I think that we experience with the older youth is um, that they are choosing homelessness. Um, and I, I think that that again is that's, that's a myth that they're not that they're or that they're bad kids and they can't be in it. And that none of that is what they're choosing is themselves. They're choosing themselves to to trust they trust themselves they like i've said repeatedly like they've been let down they've been abused they've been traumatized and they trust themselves and they're going to move forward with that in their decision making and when you're engaging as a young person in ocs like kim was saying like there's parameters and there's rules and foster parent homes often have their own set of rules or expectations that for the, the children and the youth in their homes and those don't always match up and so they will request and demand and fight to be to be released, but it's 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 not necessarily that they're choosing homelessness. Um, and I think that that is the myth. Like, oh, that kid just doesn't want to be in custody. Well, yeah, I wouldn't want to be in custody either. Like, we. But it's how we can support the young person to remain safely in custody or to exit safely out. That that's where we we focus a lot of our work on, and that's at all ages. 
Yeah, I think that's really helpful to reframe kind of what the choice is that's being made there by the youth. When you think about it as like, yes, I'm choosing to to become independent and to trust myself when I feel like I can't trust anybody else is different than somebody walking in, which I don't think any youth that you've ever worked with has walked in and said, I really want to be homeless, so let me out. Um, but they're 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 wanting to change their situation that they find untenable in one way or another. And I think that does change the narrative quite a bit. So the final question that I always ask folks is about a spiritual or self-care or mindfulness practice that you do to keep yourself centered in the middle of your work. Is there something that you do that falls into those, those big buckets? How do you take care of yourself in the middle of all the work that you're doing? I absolutely love this question, Joel, because uh, it's so important um, that these people who are invested in making Alaska a better place for youth and families take care of themselves, um, you know, putting on that mask first, right? So um, some of the things that I really try to do is I try to identify things that are going to fill my bucket because I know there are things throughout my day or week that are going to be taking things out of my bucket. Um, and so um, that's, you know, I try to always incorporate something in like that that's going to fill my bucket, something that is exciting and uh, a great opportunity. Uh, last week, for example, um, I attended um, AFN, Alaska Federation for NATO's conference. Amazing. Uh, just the power, the, the movement that goes on there, the connections of people, especially coming out of post-COVID. I mean, it was truly an amazing site. Um, so that's one thing I, I try to do is find great opportunities that I can fill my bucket that way. Um, my go-to for anything and everything is actually just being outside, um, being connected to the earth and the sun and you know the greenery is like does it every single time for me so if i'm feeling like super stressed i'm like i just need to go for a five minute walk around the building or go outside and breathe some like fresh air it's huge that's that's my go-to i think anytime i'm like oh my gosh what's going on in this world naomi um i um i think I've identified myself now as like a bit of an introvert and like a cozy person. So, but I, but I, I do, um, I, I, what helps me is when I'm doing something that's like real cozy or crafty, but it's in the, the art of giving. So like, I will create this cozy environment for my kids to come back from. Like, I know my daughter had a, a science test that she was very stressed about. So what can I do to help her release when she comes home? And that makes me feel better, like self-caring for the for the, the people around me or, you know, a friend of mine, like I join a, um, a meal train for them or something um, that, that kind of helps me. Like I'll light a fire, I'll sit and I'll read a book. Um, but I, um, I think also, you know, Kim and I have both been in this for so long that be taking care of ourselves and keeping our buckets filled becomes almost like intrinsic to who we are so that we, we don't burn out and to, and to like, love ourselves through our moments of feeling burnt out, knowing that it's just like a phase um, and, and having the, the grace for ourselves and for the folks around us. Um, you'll ask my staff, like, what does Naomi say the most? And it's just, just do the best you can. We're all doing the best we can. We're doing the best we can and relying on that and that our intentions are, are um, you know, I'm gonna give a hundred percent of what that hundred percent I have is every day and giving myself grace and, and giving those around me grace has been really like just helpful and centering me um, and, um, 
in the work, but I think ultimately it's believing that we're doing good in the world and we're, we're putting good out into the world and we're helping people. I appreciate you both sharing what you do. You keep yourself centered and the fact that you've been in the work for so long. I mean, one of the things we talk about in the organization that sponsors this podcast is that folks who figure out a way to take care of themselves in these ways that you were talking about can do the work for a long time and know that this is in waves. Like it goes up and down um, and keeps just keeps us centered in the middle of that work. So thank you uh, for sharing what you do. Hopefully that'll inspire others. Kim, Naomi, thank you so much for talking with me today and letting listeners know a little bit more about what OCS does in this area around youth um, experiencing homelessness. Thank you, Joel. We really appreciate it. It was uh, really fun. Yeah, thanks, Joel. My thanks to Kim and Naomi for joining me for this insightful conversation. I hope you learned as much from it as I did. If you'd like to learn more about foster care and how you can get involved, there are links in the show description. Until next time, I'm Joel Kiekenfeld. Be good out there. The Anchored City Podcast is grateful for a grant from Resonate Global Mission and a partnership with Street Psalms, both of which contribute to making this podcast possible. And we're grateful for you, our listeners. If you are grateful for what you are hearing, please rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen and recommend us to your friends. You can support this podcast by selecting the Anchorage Urban Training Collaborative at smile.amazon.com when you shop at Amazon so that when you make a purchase, Amazon donates to us. Resources used to make this episode can be found in the show details. The Anchored City Podcast is a production of the Anchorage Urban Training Collaborative. The mission of the collaborative is to train the heads, hands, and hearts of urban leaders to love their city and seek its peace. When we say peace, we mean the desire to see a world where all things are the way they're supposed to be for all people. Find us online at anchorageutc.org or on social media at Anchorage UTC. Our theme music is by Anchorage's own Monica Lutner. Monica Lutner.